I have it on good authority from the people at National Public Radio. Oh. That researchers have discovered anxiety cells in the brain, Thomas. Cells with a C. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. As opposed to cells they like. They were like these anxiety, like this is a pitch meeting. Yeah. Yeah, that it's like a shark tank for fear. I'm selling you on the context. There's actual cells of anxiety? Yes. Yeah, this is uh, published in uh, the journal Neuron, which I know you probably just haven't read yet. I love that. They're looking forward to better treatments for anxiety disorders, which affect nearly one in five adults in the U.S. Therapies we have now uh, have significant drawbacks, says Mason Kierbeck, assistant professor at the University of California, San Francisco, and author of the study. This is another target we can try to move the field forward in finding new therapies. That sounds like pure Maison to me. <laughs> that checks out. <laughs> so there's actual cells that it's not just this that feeling of, so much. Of, uh, this feeling of, of darkness that we carry around with us every day, Tommy. Uh, these things, it's its because of these stupid Fercocta cells. These commuters going around in our brains? Yeah, they're messing you up. I don't care for it. You shouldn't care for it. You should take an active role in fixing it. I expect you to apply for a job on the team and take care of this. Here's the thing, though. Until you get that job and can actually contribute, I, I think we just need to share. Well, I gave you all my love and I gave you all my trust and I gave you everything that you need. But you only told me lies and you made me realize that, babe, you ain't no good for me. I can't be with you, you can't be true. And I know just what I got to do. Gonna hit the ground running. Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties on Rashpixel.fm. I'm Pete Wright. I'm Tommy Metz. And every week we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, to learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. This week, Tommy, I'll go first. I'm ready. Let's do this. I uh, was at uh, I was at PodCon this year. PodCon, you know, uh, that podcasting convention. Oh, yeah. All the kids are raving about yep. PodCon. It was in Seattle, and I was uh, attending a fantastic uh, 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 live recording of, uh, you know, there were a number of podcasts that actually, for some weird reason, brought up the same topic. But uh, it was a recording of My Brother, My Brother, and Me, a fantastic podcast from the McElroy brothers. And one of the questions that came in over this, uh, uh, this particular live broadcast uh, was about, you know, how do you ask someone or how do you tell someone when they come into, say, you're a purveyor in a store? Uh, and I think in this case, it was uh, somebody was, was running a wedding store. You know, they were selling like wedding gowns. And somebody comes in and they smell good. How do you ask? How do you tell them, hey, you smell great Ugh. without sounding? Yeah, it seems a little bit <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. It's, it, no, it's shifty. Yeah. It's not great. <laughs> you it, it, smell it's hard good. to make. It's <laughs> hard to sell that without ending in it puts the lotion on its skin. Right. Uh, and, if, you, and so, if you say that all without blinking once, yeah. that really sells it. <laughs> That really gets you ready for the restraining order. That's exactly that is exactly right, and so I, it got me thinking about uh, about uh, a thing that I have uh, with smells. I have a problem with smells, and I, I can't get it out of my head. And I'm not. I, it's an anxiety that I that I live with every day, and I don't tell anybody about it. So I'm just telling you. Okay. 
Uh, I'm, I'm only sharing my anxiety about smelling things with you. I hate smelling things. I hate it so much because <laughs> years and years ago, my own mother, God love her, my own mother, she tells me, hey, you know what? When you smell something like a pretty flower, you're actually smelling little bits of pollen in in your nose. I said, no, no, you don't. Oh. That's a lie. She said, no, there's little tiny, tiny particles of pollen are going into your olfactory bulbs and they're doing what they do and they're making contact in your head. Pollen's going in your head, oh. inside your body, and that is what triggers a smell response. Really? And of course, you know, when she told me this, I was like 12. Yeah. And what is the first thing you think about when you're 12? And somebody says, particles of stuff are going in your nose. Not flowers. No, it's poop. It's always poop. <laughs> I can't believe I had to actually tell no, you. No, I just didn't want to say the word. Poop. As a mitigating your factor, everyone knows your mother is a liar. <laughs> is this really a thing? Or Because I don't like that. Because when you started with flowers, I was like, oh, I wouldn't mind having flowers in my head. But that's the only thing. And waffles, flowers and waffles, everything and waffles, else. And waffles, hot syrup yeah. and butter. All of those things, though, freak me out because what is it that you're smelling when you smell waffle? You're putting waffle in your nose. You're just sticking waffle in your nose. <laughs> I have a problem with that, even though I know when I'm sitting there over a plate of hot waffles, I'm fine. Like, I'm going to eat those waffles. It's fine. But I'm always in the back of my mind. I'm thinking I might as well just jam it in my nose and pour sir, lean the head back and just pour the syrup in my nasal cavity. And so I like the picture of you, you with your family around the breakfast nook, eating waffles, tears streaming down your face, hands shaking, just like, daddy's fine. He's just trying to keep it together right. at the nook. The, the kids love having uh, sleepovers yeah. at our house because they just love showing, dad, <laughs> showing dad. dad's latest breakfast freakout. Welcome to the tent of atrocities. I guess I thought, I don't know how I thought that that would have, I guess I weirdly thought, because I never think things through. Uh, like, I guess I was comparing <laughs> us maybe to robots that we just had a sensor. That's like, I detect, I detect I waffles, that not that it's actually going inside of you. I don't care for that at all. How do robots do it? There, something has to make contact for the thing to work, even oh, sound, yeah. right? I mean, I, I think about this, like sound is, we're making sound, and so it's vibrating molecules in the air, and that is the, it's the wave that is actually pushing into our our eardrums. I'm okay with that, uh, but but the nose thing, I, I have real trouble with. And so here's, I, I know that this is, this is my, it is my fate. To, to be just riddled with this anxiety all my life. And so as we are wont to do, I started looking around for some, you know, what is it that I could learn that possibly would, would helps make you me feel better feel about, better. As, yeah. I mean, let's go yeah. for it. Poop going in your nose, literally going, in literally your nose. going in my nose. Mom says, mom says you are, you are smelling flowers of pollen. I say, mom, when I smell dog poop, I am actually putting my face, just taking the dog poop and putting it in my nose. That's what you're telling me right now. That's what you're saddling me with. And that's the last time you ever saw your mother. For the rest of my life. Right? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> she's still in the rocking yeah. chair. No, look, then then you 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 can take it a, a step farther, Tommy. You can take it a step farther. You can be sitting next to somebody in a movie theater and they pass wind. Mm. You are taking a little piece of their intestinal experience and you're putting it in your nose. No. That's what I that's Ugh. it's why we do this I show. That's why we do this long setup, this well-established show. This is why we do it. This is why we do this, why people show up. My mom actually has something along this line, but she took it a very different way, which might even be more... No, it's just it's just as horrific. <laughs> she makes it worse. Well, all without uh, throughout growing up, if we'd go on road trips or something with my parents, she would always talk about the fact that when she went into an outhouse or a public restroom or something... That she would only, because what do you usually, what do, I, I guess I can just say what do what I do if it's a very smelly restroom. Ugh, I do not care for this conversation, but let's keep going. Yeah. I only breathe yeah. through my mouth because I don't want to smell it. <laughs> right? Oh, well, now that's even more horrifying. You just. But, but I wanted, but I wanted to. It's so much But I wanted worse. to talk about my mom, my mother, mother. Is uh, she would only breathe through her nose because she has an actual fear of breathing in. I was young. I can't use the actual word that she used, but let's just say S balls. Oh, uh, S asterisk IT balls as if those were floating around in the air. And if she breathed them in her mouth, then they'd be in her mouth. Until this conversation, well, actually, it depends on your research, because I always just thought that was insane. Nothing's ever going actually into your body, so why subject that to yourself? And now I'm both apologizing to my mother, I'm angry at how I've lived my life. What have you sort of figured out? No, it's not great. I really <laughs> hoped when we started this process that I could I could have this conversation about, God, you know, this my overwhelming anxiety about, uh, you know, smell particles uh and that it would be it would be okay i would be able to work through it i'd find some research that would convince uh convince you and i both at this point that no we're in fact we're not eating and, scent and I, not, I and i assume you found fact, it all and whole... we're all good <laughs> I, found a, I found a wonderful thread uh on um uh, em, emetophobia.org Emet the web emetophobia community yeah what do you know about emetophobia is that well fear of I don't know. Emeta. Is that scent? Emet. E-M-E-T-O phobia. Ooh, I should probably figure this it out. It is extreme fear of vomiting. Ah, come on! Origin from the Greek emetikos, vomiting, from emen to vomit plus phobia, according to the Oxford Living Dictionary. Okay. Now, emetophobia has an extraordinary uh, thread uh, all about the question, if you simply smell it, can it make you sick? Now, you can imagine on a site like emetophobia.org, uh, what they are worried about is if you smell somebody vomiting, can their vomit actually oh, make you sick? And that is that is a well-known uh, phenomenon called pukity puke. Is what I was, uh, <laughs> what I was taught it meant in that from mom no, too? that was in college. It's puke, then you puke, but it was called pukity puke. Um, and that was certain people when their friends, after drinking too much, got sick, had to leave the room and couldn't be in charge of holding hair or something like that. Oh, yeah. No, I imagine you at a lot of holding hair kind of parties. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So look, that that is actually pukety puke is although that should become canon. Uh, <laughs> I I don't know about that. What this is actually talking about is if you vomit and you are sick with something like, for example, norovirus. Ooh. Oh no! Because shut up. Yeah, we, because we know that if you smell something, it means aerosolized particles of it are making it to the smell receptors in your nose. If you vomit norovirus, will that actually make it into your nose? And could it make you sick? And a uh, a, a, a member of the medical community responds and says that's kind of a tricky question. If you're standing right next to the person uh, when they were, you know, doing in the it, splash zone, uh, and and they do. In this in this community, they actually it, the, the the threads are full of euphemisms for vomiting because of, of course it's a metaphobia. Right. Like they, they don't, don't want to talk, talk about, about it. Yeah. They have extreme fear of it. So um, then you hung out with them, breathing it in, like standing around for the immediate few minutes right after it happens. There is a chance uh. that you will actually get sick just from that and uh, from from smelling it. That stresses me out because now of course all i'm thinking about is the movie outbreak right. and the smell that is up in the vents and coming down now i'm a floating scent particle right. so that's no, the hot zone uh, you know my right that book <laughs> the, was, was the outbreak based on the book the hot zone yeah that's where i first learned the phrase bleeding out well that's another show okay sorry go ahead uh, anyhow what what i'm telling you is this <laughs> my rigorous uh research rigorous like half hour of research has actually uncovered in fact a a phobia i didn't know existed and it actually confirmed that i'm right and your mother should be much more worried oh no so how do people in hospitals stay alive it's interesting that you would ask that i don't know for sure, but I I think they're working on it. Uh, the National Geographic actually reports that you can smell when someone is sick. Oh, I know dogs can. Uh, yeah, it turns out so can humans. So can humans. And uh, Valerie Curtis is a public health researcher at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. And she actually wrote a book called Don't Look, Don't Touch, Don't Eat. Oh, okay. It's on the science of disgust. Oh. Ah! Which is, yeah. Disgust, D-A-G-U-S-T? <laughs> yeah. That's, oh, I was a humanities What's major. the other disgust? Disgust, like you talked like, about it. Oh, <laughs> I thought you meant dis apostrophe custs. Sure, that too. <laughs> Uh, anyway, look, she says signs of sickness are some of the things people find most most disgusting. It simply makes good evolutionary sense that we use our noses to notice illness. Think mucus, vomit or pus. This is uh, this right. sense of disgust is our way of avoiding things that could harm us. That totally makes sense to me. Uh, the key here is that our bodies are constantly launching volatile substances into the air. They're carried in our breath and literally ooze from every pore. And they can vary depending on... Oh my God. <laughs> they can Yeah. No, this is all happening right now. They can I was vary. planning on eating again at some point. No, certainly not tonight. No more. All right. They vary depending on age, diet, and whether an illness has thrown off some cog in our metabolic machinery. Microbes living in our guts and on our skin also contribute to our signature scent by breaking down our metabolic byproducts into smellier ones. Mm. So, totally makes sense. This whole line of inquiry was inspired by this woman, Joy Milne, who has discovered that she smelled her husband when he developed Parkinson's. 
six years before he was diagnosed. She smelled the Parkinson's on him? Les had a sort of woody, musky odor, she said. Six years before he was diagnosed, she smelled his Parkinson's. (laughs) Number one, Parkinson's is not funny. Number two, (laughs) six years, he could have changed his cologne. That's, I kind of got a call, like, or if he hadn't had Parkinson's, then she, she just had a smelly husband. Is that for real? Like, we can be like, see? It's for real. No, I know no. it's for real because he got Parkinson's. But I, but my no, friends but what smell I'm different you sometimes. She was then able- <laughs> and I'm like, should I be looking out for leukemia? Like, I, or do you just like not shower enough? No. It, so here's the thing. She actually mentioned it to Parkinson's researcher in Edinburgh named Tilo Kunath who mentioned it to his colleague, analytical chemist Perdita Baran, and they actually started researching this. And it turns out she sniffed six sweaty teas from people diagnosed with Parkinson's and six from healthy controls. Milne correctly identified all of them, 100%, and she has gone on to be tested again since and and just nails it. It turns out humans have an incredibly sensitive sense of smell. And the problem is we just don't have a language to describe it, which is fascinating. Now, I want to leave you, before we move on, I want to leave you with uh, uh, some sickness smells because I want you to be equipped when we finish this show. I want you to be equipped with the tools you need to smell sickness on your friends and family. So we know Woody... Whatever wood smells like, that's uh, that's Parkinson's. Woody and musky. Woody and musky yes. is Parkinson's yes. with a bullet. Not, okay. not patchouli. Right. That's Parkinson's. <laughs> patchouli is just someone I don't want to hang out with. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, so if I were to say, if, if you were to run into somebody, uh, Tommy, who smelled of sweet-smelling feces, <laughs> can you imagine what the disease would be that that, that goes with sweet-smelling what feces? Oh, I don't, what does that mean? Like smell like candy? <laughs> I would say, oh, good, I have a guess, uh, diabetes. It is cholera. Cholera? Is that still a thing? <laughs> we still have cholera? I thought that was like smallpox. Do I not know what cholera is? I I, I have never run into anybody with cholera, but that's not the only one we're going to keep okay. going. How about foul breath? Just straight up foul, acrid trash Halitosis. breath. Now, I actually... <laughs> right? No, yes. And also pneumonia. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And that's true. I've had pneumonia a number of times, and that's the first thing that my wife notices about really? me. Really? Man, your breath smells. It's not, it It really, It's. it smells like you're, it smells, it's like the wrong end of your body. It really smells oh, like that. Wow. It's, it's okay. worse. It's that, it's the worst. How about musty sweat and urine? As opposed to, <laughs> I would think that all, okay, yeah, maybe I don't know what your urine smells like. What? Scurvy. Phenylketonuria. What's that? How about garlicky body odor? This is one I think you actually need to be worried about. Oh, wait. This sounds familiar. Yeah, it's not vampires. No, but this is something that I've either read in a book. Uh, garlic. garlic. Uh, what is it? Arsenic poisoning. Why would that sound familiar? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you... In contrast, we only have two more. In contrast to musty sweat in urine, how about fruity urine and breath? So next time you you smell right. friends' urine, sure, as I want to do, you you'll know that they have diabetes. Oh, I guessed that before. I you said did. that was sweet. Okay. You did. And interestingly, fruity. here's another one Got that it. you didn't quite get right. How about putrid sweat? <laughs> I'm going to go with scurvy again. It is scurvy. 
It is. Get yourself some limes, friend. Get yourself some limes, friend. And also, if you're sick with scurvy, what's happening? (laughs) It's 2018. (laughs) Like, what's happening? Well, clearly, you've been on a ship crossing the Atlantic for the last night. No one's crossing things. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, some of. And so, because the reason that things smell bad is because back in the day, uh, we would eat everything because we didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was evolution's way as a blunt object of saying, don't eat that because the people that ate that all the time are no longer able to continue the bloodline. Yeah. And so is this a way that that if you if we were advanced, more advanced, that if you smelled that, we could sense things even faster. And we would know to let them die. Gotta hit the ground. Okay, well, so my next three meals are canceled. Um, as far as that's concerned, there's something that maybe you don't know about me, Pete. Oh, I can't, I can't wait to hear it. Have you heard of aviophobia? Aviophobia. Let's say aviophobia. That's probably better. It's either a fear of things that fly or a fear of flying. A fear of flight, correct. I do not have that. You don't have that. Okay. Even when I've been in severe turbulence, in which I've had, weirdly, a lot in different kind of planes, I've always somehow remained very calm. For some reason with me, whenever I've been in a near accident, I start giggling. Yeah. Yeah. I buy that. Yeah. This yeah. is just a sidebar proving that I am a sociopath. <laughs> uh, it's it's the bouncing up and down and saying, we, that's what's a real turn off. Uh, People, you're just a great seatmate. <laughs> the best. And I always want the middle seat. Yeah. It's great. I want to bring the party in. <laughs> Every Ever since I can remember, and it continues on to this day, there is one part of flying where the flying experience in a in a airplane as opposed to in an airplane <laughs> where i bird. experience an absolute involuntary shudder like a complete clenching up every okay. time and i actually just okay. got home from a trip uh 2 days ago and it happened uh both times um is it cuz i had a okay. day over oh do you want to make a guess well i kind of do let's do this all right um so it it's uh, i was going to say it's the moment the wheels hit the ground when we're landing? Yeah. No, but that would that is a perfect guess. That's probably when a lot of people would tense up. I'm totally fine with that. Fascinating because that's uh, that that would be I don't typically have that fear but that would because mine imme- I immediately go to the plane's going to skid off the runway. Sure. That's yeah. when I mean, yeah, takeoff and landings are the only times when you're generally supposed yeah. to be worried. Okay, uh, so because... so yours is not that. No, and I'm not sure how relatable mine is, but it's right. true, and it's something for me, and I guess I'll put it out there to see if Do anyone it. else has anything like this. It's just the moment when, the, uh, upon, not upon, uh, yeah, uh, when we're taking off, when the plane's nose lifts off the runway, mm. because some part of me is convinced that when we start taking off, the rear of the plane will hit the runway. <laughs> And then yes. it'll go bonk, 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 <laughs> nose tail, nose tail, nose tail, like a death seesaw. And then I guess explode. Like I've never gotten that far in this nightmare scenario because it immediately goes away. But every single time we sort of take off and there's that part where it seems like, why isn't the back hitting? I've seen this in a really big plane. It is impossible for me not to completely either shudder or clench up for about two seconds. And then it's immediately gone. <laughs> And I have felt this way. Do you? I assume you don't feel this way. I don't know if anyone does. Well, I. I can, uh, but I assume I, this is I not can, something that you stress. No, about. no, no. You should not beware thine assumptions. 
sir. About I that no one else is sure. No. <laughs> There's Here's probably a magazine problem. based just on You're, this. <laughs> did you check the <laughs> bing bong, bing bong, bing bong flight thing dot org uh, association? <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I think it might be there. Um, I, I actually imagine I totally get this because your head, it goes into very strange places. As soon as anxiety hits, your head goes to the dark places completely irrationally. You don't get to control. It's like you lose control of where your mind goes. That's an invasive thought spiral. Right. Right. And if yeah. you're suffering from. From, you know, some very seriously, some people who suffer from debilitating OCD, right? You, you'll never get out of that thought spiral. And you'll, that's where, right. you know, panic attacks and the breathing and things. For, but, but for me, it, it was especially when I first started flying. And I think it's because of all the, you know, the G.I. Joes and Transformers I played with. Be, because that's what happened. When you would lift them off and you're playing as a kid, you lift the nose off, the, the tail would touch the carpet. And so it would oh, feel like, man, physics breaks when that happens. And suddenly the plane is skidding. <laughs> right. For me, it was always that, my God, if the nose of the plane is lifted too high off the ground, the current under the plane will just push the nose all the way over and it'll just you'll be on your back. Right. right. Like it'll just flip over. And and that is I totally I, I absolutely relate to that, Tom. I really do. That makes me feel better because it's so primal in me. I would actually I yes. guess maybe I'm going against primal, but I would love to know. It must have happened very early, but maybe the idea of like action figures like you brought up or I saw something, but just I'm I was convinced that this is something that can happen all the time. But, you know, as I've been an adult for a zillion years now, the rational part of me knows that that's not possible because of physics and aerodynamic lift. It's just not possible. Both of those things don't work in your irrational state, in your anxious state. Right. Physics, <laughs> the aerodynamic lift. And then I did a little bit of research. Oh, dear. It is absolutely possible. <laughs> it is 100% possible. Again, this is the second time where we've done... Some, my research is better... Not better. My research is poorer than yours. It comes out to a happier ending. But what the first thing that I learned is I was I just sort of wanted to I went to rollmyeyes.com. I don't it's not a thing, but just like of course, just give me this really quick sentence about aerodynamic lift and how it's not possible. It's completely possible. It's rare, but it absolutely does happen. Enough that per the FAA, all aircraft manufacturers need to do a oh, there's a word, there's a uh, there's a name for it. It's called a tail strike. Oh god. And they need to do a tail strike test before certifying any aircraft as airworthy. It so happens oh enough that the tails of most planes are designed in a special way so they can bear the force of this incident. So it'll cause a ton of damage to the plane, but not to the passengers. I, I don't what? even know what to say about that. First of all... <laughs> Collectively, we have broken the entire concept of this podcast. Already? On the first one? On the first one. We were supposed to find answers. Oh, both of us, right. That would make us feel safer, that our anxieties were unjustified. And in fact, both of these things are worthy of being anxious about. Okay, here's where I can help. Mine actually does have help, unlike right. you who's shoving waffles and poop in your face. <laughs> Mine actually has, for a long time now, Every plane is equipped with a gyro horizon indicator. If you've oh. ever played any kind of flight simulator, yeah. if you ever really think about a plane, it's a circle, and you can see the left, right, and the elevation and how far you have to go. Mm -hmm. And pretty much what it does is it's 
It's the flight display that uh, displays crucial information about speed, angle, altitude, everything. Is pitch and, and that, yaw involved in there? Pit, pitch and yaw. I think those are words that are important. So much pitch and yaw. Starboard yeah, is in there. Star, I think there's. Starboard. I think there's a there's a niner, uh, but it, it makes it. <laughs> so foolproof, so easy to control mm-hmm. those elements that it, you have to really go out of your way to have a tail strike. Well, uh, that's a relief. Yeah. All planes are provided with a tail strike sensor that alerts crew uh, of any circumstances if the tail is getting too close to it. Okay. Um, so the only, like really how the only way it's going to happen is if you pull back too fast. Okay. That you will do what I thought was physically impossible. It's totally possible. But that plus pilot training and stuff, it's actually harder to do now with all of the sensors and stuff. And as I said, I think I mentioned that tails, just the tails of planes are equally bolstered, not equally more bolstered than the front in order to take that. They have like skids. It's like a nice big skid exactly, on the yeah. back. Yeah, we'll just call it a skid. And even if they say now in most, exactly, in most, it's like a sled, in most, uh, even if there is a tail strike when you are uh, flying, there's no emergency landing even required. Oh. The outer fuselage will become super damaged and scrapped. It won't affect cabin pressure. Because you you haven't left the ground. Because the bulkhead behind the rear galley to the aircraft, exactly. And you'll be, you can take off and you'll be fine. And you can land fine. Then the plane has to go for extensive, extensive repairs. Wow. But everyone will be fine. That's the big answer, is that even if a tail strike happens, you'll be fine. Um, and then I looked up just what was the last one of the last times that a tail strike happened, thinking that probably my guess would be like the 1980s or something. We are still figuring these out. 2015. Oh, geez. On August 15th, 2015, at about 634 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, an Airbus A321, that is a massive plane, <laughs> operated by American Airlines. That's a real airline. That also Inbound, out. Yeah. Uh, it... Uh, it, yeah, it had a tail strike. <laughs> I went, I just sort of buzzed over the rest of it. No one was hurt. Uh, they got out. The flight crew performed to go around maneuver and stuff, and everything was fine. No injury reported. The airplane was substantially damaged. But we're having tail strikes in 2015. They are very rare, but even if they happen, I guess the, the learning thing is I had rationally explained it away. All of that is wrong, but science and plane people are on it. And they realize, thank God for the plane people, Tommy. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're ready. If it, they've made it so hard for it to happen. But if it happens, there will be not a bonk, 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 <laughs> tail nose, tail nose, seesaw of death. You'll just be fine. You'll be like, oh, that was a little uncomfortable. Yeah. And it won't, it also won't like turn immediately into balsa wood and flip over no. on its back like it does in my head. So that's good. No, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yes, I learned that my irrational fear is rational, but has been handled. Has this fear ever actually caused you to make a different de- decision about your uh, choices for transportation? Never, because it's so short and yeah. pain fades. If it yeah. was something that like I was worried about, like I forget that it's I honestly forget that it's a thing. Every time until the reason that I knew remember to bring it up on this podcast is, as I mentioned, I just went on a flight. Yeah, right. This is such a small compartmentalized, but so strong fear that I have for two seconds every time I fly and then it just goes away. So, no, I've never had that kind of problem. I have problems flying on puddle jumpers or little planes. Yeah. But those are just death traps. That's not a phobia. (laughs) 
that's just me being an intelligent person. It's <laughs> just truth. Yeah, exactly. So that is that's something you didn't know about me, and I I wonder if maybe some other people out there like you uh, can identify with it. Well, if you can't laugh about it, Tommy, what can you do? Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash podcast. <laughs> Over 180,000 titles to choose from, from your phone, Android, Kindle, or other MP3 player. I have been a subscriber to Audible, my very self, for 16 years uh, I'm on the two book a month plan and I could not be happier with Audible. I adore Audible. Uh, and to celebrate uh, our Audible sponsorship, you have chosen the book. I have chosen the book based on my fear of tail strikes and other things flight related is the book Airframe by the late great Michael Crichton. It's a thriller, but as all Michael Crichton books are, that really gets into the nitty gritty of airlines, the airline industry, the corruption involved with that. Probably there's some stuff about t tail strikes and all of the minutiae, when I say minutiae, but an interesting minutiae involved with what you do to get to clear different planes and all of the things uh, to try to keep us safe and how that can go very wrong. That is Airframe by, Airframe by Michael Crichton. It is 11 hours and 6 minutes, so... Maybe quit your job? I don't <laughs> you don't listen to a lot of audiobooks, do you, Tommy? I might not know how it's done. I assume you have to do it all in one sitting. <laughs> I'll you, get on that. You, you don't, but, you know, with practice. Uh, for all of you listeners to uh, What's That Smell? Audible's offering this free audiobook download with a 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out the service, to browse the library, and see if there's some other books that you might like. Totally worth it. And uh, if you if you like it, you can just know you are supporting What's That Smell. Thank you all for joining us this week. Today's tune is Hit the Ground Running by Ryan Pruitt. You can find the link to that in the show notes. Thank you for downloading and listening to the show. You can find it at rashpixel.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever finer podcasts are served. We don't pay to advertise this show, so we appreciate you taking a minute and sharing it with others you think might be interested. Coming up next week... Had been learning about myself. Do you know that experience where you're learning about yourself and the things that are, that are you know, wrong with you? Sadly, yes. It's pretty yeah. much daily. <laughs> I call it the, huh, oh, well. <laughs> Symptoms included irritability, headache, heart palpitations, high blood pressure, and most notably, a high level of anxiety and agitation. What do you think caused it? Being an American? Being an American. <laughs> Okay, let me just take over here because you are you are a non-contributing zero in this equation. <laughs> Until then, I'm Tommy Metz the Third, and I'm Pete Wright. Thank you for downloading. We'll be back next week on What's That Smell. Oh,